Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm Ellen Parson, Editor-in-Chief of ECNM, and in this episode, we're featuring part two of our discussion with some of this year's 30 Under 30 Electrical All-Stars. In this episode, they're going to share some of their secrets to success, some of the latest challenges they're seeing in the industry, what it's like for the new generation in the electrical industry to work with the older generation, what's most important to them in their careers, and their opinions on the big things to watch in the next couple of years. So today we're following up on this discussion with Luke Snow of Toth & Associates, Maria Ellis with MC Dean, Ian Smith with CDM Smith, and Jordan Emch with Oak Ridge National Laboratory. So I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves briefly today before we jump right into the discussion in case you didn't hear part one. If you didn't, please check that out because there's a lot of really great comments in there. Um, Luke, would you like to begin? Yeah, certainly. Um, my name is Luke Snow. Um, I'm an engineering manager here at Toth & Associates. Um, my name is Jordan Ebsch, uh, electrical facility engineer here at Oak Ridge National Laboratory with, with UT Battelle. Hi, uh, my name is Maria Ellis. After school, I ended up down here in Tysons, Virginia with MC Dean. So I'm currently an electrical design engineer. My name is uh, Ian Smith, working at uh, CDM Smith. So most of my work is in the water and wastewater sector, as well as some industrial work. Does anyone have any experiences or would talk about any kind of either difficulty, challenges, or even, you know, funny stories about working with older generations, maybe uh, who may be set in their ways, not as receptive to change. A lot of the, one of the key points about 30 under 30 was, you know, they wanted to acknowledge that you all had really harnessed technology in your, um, you know, success, that you're very good at um, that kind of thing. So any, anything about your experience with the older generations that may have helped you, um, you know, work with those mentors? Mm -hmm. um, yes, so we definitely hear this conversation happening a lot, um, especially in our industry where the average age is now over 50 years old. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that narrative that the older generation isn't receptive to the younger or the updates in technology that are coming along with that change. Right. Um, personally, I don't think it is, nor have I found it to really necessarily been true. Okay. Um, and, and I heard this once and it stuck with me, but the generational transition in energy sector is is like a grandfather that cherishes the opportunity to pass down you know his well-worn pocket knife to his grandson so you know we have these individuals that are just craving the chance to pass down the systems that they've devoted their entire lives to you know but mm -hmm. they don't want to hand it over without being confident that the next generation is ready for that responsibility so you know why wouldn't they be or why wouldn't there be some skepticism in a bunch of 30 year olds when we're talking about us you know, mm -hmm. walking in and asking for the keys to the house, you know, there's, there's an every generation of sweat equity out on the line. And, you know, all most of the individuals or teams that, that we work with, and what they want to know is, you know, does the next group have the same passion for the product that they did, or that they do. Um, and then as far as the technology portion of that, you know, I think one of the big things, and, you know, there's kind of a misconception here, but the first thing to understand is that these new technologies don't inherently bring new knowledge into the industry. Um, you know, these new technologies give us the ability to apply and then manipulate the knowledge bases that are already there or present, but they don't really teach anyone how to design or construct something better. And if anything, you know, they're, they're probably doing the inverse if handled incorrectly. 
you know, the younger generation has to take all those learning opportunities to gain knowledge, the experience, and those best practices prior to really applying it to those new technologies. You know, it's at that point of that intersection, you know, that you can really start to see the benefit of mixing, you know, the lifetime knowledge of the, the past generation to the early adoption of incoming technologies, the new generation. Thank okay, great. I'd just add that uh, in my experience, some of the resistance to change and new technology comes from past experience that of new technologies that were considered great at the time, which we now yeah. acknowledge were mistakes mm -hmm. along the way. Um, and I can see we've seen I've seen some of those happen uh, even with new technologies now. So I think that um, that there's there's a there's a middle ground to be found between uh, the new tech the new way and the old way. I think that we have to re respecting the the old way is uh, is equally as important as pushing new ideas. Okay, let's move on to. I do want to definitely get to. Um, obviously, we've talked a little bit about this before: a skilled labor shortage in the construction industry, engineering industry, whether it's contractors, engineers plant facility people, there's a limited pool of applicants um, and it's definitely hard to recruit and retain people like you. So I really want to kind of pick your brains and find out. Um, I, I would guess that in discussions I've had before with past 30 under 30 people, it really hit me how, you know, when we, my age person in my fifties, um, you know, started their job, all of the things that we were looking for are completely different than what maybe the new generation people are looking to today and you've really, you know, evolved from what we did as far as it was just looking at, okay, this is the salary. This is what I'm going to do and put your head down and work. And, and I don't really have that many choices or, you know, at a young age, you didn't feel like you could really get the things you wanted because you just needed to go in there and put your head down and work. Um, I do think it's a great thing that that's changed. And I'd like to hear, you know, what kind of factors were most important to you when you were choosing uh, an employer, not specifically this, we've already talked why you chose the industry, but when you looked at employers in different positions, what was driving you, what factors were most important? Um, you know, some of these things may be less traditional than the incentives that maybe were important to previous generations. So I'll, I'll jump in on, on this one. Um, I feel like one of the, well, a few big factors for me and ultimately deciding where to work has been uh, opportunity and and room for growth. And, you know, I, I talked a little bit earlier about um, some of those key mentorship um, opportunities as well. Um, so you know, for me personally, I want to be able to come into work and, and have a high level of autonomy and, and a high level of responsibility and ownership over what I do. And and for me to, to truly make it mine and and make those key key decisions to, to, to steer it, whether it's a design um, or, or, you know, whether we're providing oversight, uh, for, for installation work, um, you know, I, I, I truly want to, want to be able to, to steer the ship, so to speak. Um, so, so for me, I, I, I certainly wanted a place that was highly flexible and, and provided a lot of those opportunities and variety of work as well. Um, right. you know, some, some of the, uh, experiences that I've had, um, you, you end up, um, certain specialties, you end up working yourself so, so far into that specialty that that's, um, all, all you're able to work on or, or all that you have the opportunity to work on. And, and for me, that was one of the things that was really attractive uh, about the, the, our group here at, at SNS and at Oak Ridge National Lab um, is, is, you know, our ability to, to work on all of these varying systems and, and provide, a, you, know, uh, you know, varying levels of support, um, whether it's design, maintenance operations, um, contract management, 
uh, procurement. There's 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 so much variety, and uh, and certainly a high level of of trust between um, the employees and in the organization. So those those were uh, and and always will be really really important factors for for me. Okay, great. Yeah, I think uh, Jordan articulated it really well as far as having the ample opportunities to grow and to learn and just expand your professional capabilities. Uh, you know, when you look at most top tier companies, you know, they have relatively good or similar compensation and benefits packages when it comes down to it, I would say. Um, so, you know, what what are those intangibles? Does the culture fit? Is there a strong team dynamic that you're looking for? Is it a place that you see yourself long term? You know, all those answers are kind of unique to every individual, uh, mm -hmm. just the same as every company has its own unique culture. So looking for a company that wants to invest in you as a person and a professional for the long term and has that perceived growth to accommodate that, I think are big things to kind of look for whenever you're choosing an employer. Yeah, I think for some things that I was looking for in an employer was, you know, what kind of team would I be working on, but also I, I did want to know, you know, how many women are in this office? Am I going to be the only one that was in this office? Um, you know, coming in as a, your first time in a, a, your career, is it just going to be you and a bunch of men? Is it going to be you with a whole diverse career? Is it mm -hmm. going to be like, you, you never know. So uh, it was really nice to, to understand, you know, who would be on my team and who can I get to work with every day? Who do I get to learn from? And it was also really nice that, a lot of the team that I've worked with is younger. Um, mm -hmm. They're probably in their 30s or under their 30s. So it was really nice to know that, okay, a lot of people I worked with were only about five years into the job. You know, they're still learning as I'm learning. And one thing that a question that I actually got asked by MCB was, you know, what do you like to do in your free time? Like, they like to know what you do outside of work, that you're not just going to be fully work, work, work. Like, mm -hmm. you know, are you, they'll do a bunch of sports teams actually with our coworkers. They'll do a lot of different events. Um, it was just really nice to know that they care about things that you would do outside of work as well. Absolutely. I think employers are, have a difficult time with, you know, recruiting people, obviously. So they need to, you know, are there any other secrets or anything that, uh, you know, they need to know how to appeal to the younger generation. Any thoughts on that? I would say one one thing that I've I've noticed as well is you know some companies do a really really good job of outreach um, you know partnership with STEM programs um, mm -hmm. you know earlier on in in um, you know at the the education of, of individuals I, I think a, a lot of people and, and people who are interested in in STEM uh, you know positions and, and engineering and and electrical engineering at that you know maybe aren't fully aware of all of the opportunities that are out there because not all companies do a good job of, of outreach. So I, I think, you know, continued partnership with, with those key programs and, and outreach to uh, people, or whether it's early on in their career or early on in their education, that, that to me, you know, looks, looks really appealing. If I see a company that, that wants to have, um, you know, those key partnerships and wants to be actively involved, um, with with education and and professional development, um, you know, I think that's that's something that that almost all companies in this industry could do do a much better job of, um, and and I think that could also help with you know some of the issues that we're having right now with you know ability to find qualified workers. You know, you, you talked mm -hmm. touched a little bit on 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 some of the the issues with with finding those those key personnel or or attracting those key personnel. Um, you know, there's 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 a, a couple different ways to attack that problem, but 
um, you know, getting involved earlier on in the process can certainly encourage more people to, to want to go into this field and, and actually be interested in working for a company. So I know one of the other issues is not just recruiting them, it's retaining them. So once they get yes. people like you, they're losing people, the good people, because they're getting, you know, taken from this company, this company. Um, so they have to figure out a way to make uh, people like you happy to make you stay and grow and, you know, move up with that same company instead of hopping around to different places. Um, did you also, several of you, you know, mentioned flexibility. Um, that's difficult in our industry because I'm, I'm assuming maybe with the engineers, maybe you have um, a little more flexibility as far as like working from home. Do you have any of those? Um, is that an option for you? But like, if you're a contractor, if you're in plant facility, like how that isn't really, a pro that's not really possible. You've got to be out on the job sites. You've got to be in the plant, in the facility, running things. Um, so do you all have any flexibility to work from home at all? Or is everybody in the office full-time or in the field? Personally, I'm, I'm in the office full-time now um, outside mm -hmm. of going to job sites or construction sites. Um, but touching back on, you know, how do we recruit and retain uh, talent within our industry and how do we appeal to the younger generation? Uh, you know, kind of back to that first question, retaining the employees at like chosen companies, I think is really important um, without those longtime learners, uh, just in specific fields or on specific systems. We won't produce the same efficiencies that come with those years of iteration. But the, the real question, I think, is how do we as an industry retain that top talent, whether it's from one company to another, or how does our industry become more appealing overall? Uh, you know, IEEE is reporting that we, we're gonna lose half of, specifically in our industry, the power industry, you know, we're gonna lose half of the energy industry workforce within the next five to 10 years. You know, like mm -hmm. I said, right. our, our, age, our age is over 50 now on average, and they're forecasting this personnel shortage of 80,000 people by the year of 2030. So that's, that's a pretty, heavy number. So, you know, I think ultimately we, we just need to start telling our stories a little bit better. And, and this podcast is one of those ways mm -hmm. to do it, but you know, we lose a significant number of those potential power people um, before they even have a chance to decide that it could be for them. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you go and ask a young kid what they're, they're wanting to be when they'll, they'll grow up, you get those common answers of uh, obviously professional sports, but mm -hmm. doctors, lawyers, astronauts, or or they want to get into the tech field, you know, but how often do you really hear kids say, you know, I want to be a lineman or I want to get into the electrical field. Mm -hmm. So there's this, there's this stigma early on that, you know, they're, they're just cooler options that, that they can go into than the power industry. So, you know, that won't really just change in somebody when they're attending colleges. And, you know, I think Maria mentioned it earlier, or, or you did, you know, that, you know, there aren't really that many college programs specifically dedicated to the power industry, you know, and so, we need to find that way to capture and, and share the appeal of, of the appeal and impact, you know, a career can have uh, in our field. So we're getting better at it. You know, there are a lot of these great people creating things like this podcast and that help entertain and shed some of that light on the incredible things happening. Uh, but we just have to continue to tell those stories of, you know, the utility field and, and uh, you know, fundamentally, we're just going to need to continue to find ways to shift the narrative that our field is this secondary option instead of, that it is the industry to be a part of moving forward. That's such a great point. I did have a person last year also that said, you know, he just came into it by chance. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, he worked for some big electrical contractor and then he was like, wait a minute, um, I'm not going to have all these loans that all these other people have that do all these <laughs> advanced degrees. I have 
this is really fun. This is cool. I'm working on these multi-million dollar projects. I get to travel. And he had no idea. Like you said, like if the education isn't there, they don't realize, you know, Hey, this is a cool job. This is, I'm doing really neat things. So yeah, this is one way to get that out, but we definitely need to, the employers definitely need to do a better job of in, you know, educating people. Yeah. And, and that's a, it's a common issue. I, I think you're finding in all of the trades, but you know, even for the four of us sitting here that are educated engineers, you know, there's a handful of us that were just having that conversation of, ah, I didn't know that I was going to get into mm-hmm. doing electrical or I didn't know that I was going to do power engineering. And so, you know, we've all naturally fallen into it and we've found out that it's this enormous industry that has all this potential for growth and all these exciting things going on. I mean, the four of us sitting here right now do vastly different job t- job functions on a daily basis. And you know, that's just kind of a, a, a micro view of the industry as a whole. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's this big thing. It's, it's hard to promote, but inevitably we just, we just need to promote it a little bit better, tell those stories and engage people from a, a, a younger audience, I think. Definitely. Well, hearing all your stories is definitely going to help. So, okay, let's go on. Like you said, talking about your different roles, because you all have very different roles here. What's the most satisfying part of your job? Let's I just like a simple question there. That'd be interesting to know. For for me at least, um, sorry, I'll jump in first. Um, no, probably the most ahead. satisfying part of of my job function here at, at Oak Ridge National Lab, and I, I touched on this briefly earlier, is uh, uh, truly the the variety of work. Um, we can come in day to day. Just you know, I'll speak briefly to some of the design work. Um, we we one day we can be doing lighting calcs and lighting design for an office renovation one of our buildings. Um, we can be doing medium voltage distribution design for, for expansions on our campus. You know, we can be doing equipment reliability studies for uh, system owners here. Um, there's, there's a lot of maintenance and operations support work that we do. So I, I, I truly enjoy the variety that comes with, with working on a campus like this. And, and for me, that, that really keeps me engaged. And, and keeps me learning and, and you know, it, it doesn't allow any, any level of, of stagnation in your career by any means. Um, there's, there's, there's certainly no excuse for getting bored at a, at a facility mm-hmm. like this. So that's, that's been probably the most in, enjoyable um, um, part of my career here. Okay, perfect. Kind of mirror what Jordan said, but on, on the design end, at least in my, in my position, I work on a lot of different jobs. I, I touched on a couple, but um mm-hmm getting to work on all sorts of different jobs for different clients and even in different countries. It, it keeps it interesting. That's for sure. You are know. you all working on multiple things at once? I'm just curious. That kind of made me think, oh, of yeah. that. are you doing one project <laughs> at a time? Are you doing like multiple all over the place? Some take five years, some takes longer. Yeah. We have projects on the order of 45 days to four years, five years, 10 years, okay. master plans. We, we do, I've worked on mass 20 year or 30 year master plans. So um, the the range and scale is incredible. Okay, great. That is interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, go off some of that. So I've been on only one project for the past year and a half, but it's designing and building it. So we're still in the design phase. I've still mm-hmm. been going through the entire design process and we're just starting the construction. So this project's gonna be about till 2026. Um, I'll probably be on it till the whole time. So um, mm-hmm. it does take up most of my time, but um, I think the most satisfying part of it is just seeing my work come to life. Just two or three weeks ago, um, a duck bank I had designed got installed. Like just hearing that, that they're starting the construction of 
you know, what I had put in the designs a year and a half ago is actually like actually crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just the start of it. There's so much more of my stuff that's going to get inputted into Mm -hmm. these, um, government buildings. And it's so satisfying to know that, you know, I did that. That has to be rewarding. Like I did that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with uh, just kind of what everybody else is is saying here. You know, the nature of our business is that every single project that we do is is very similar in concept where we're building typically something overhead, whether it's a high voltage line or distribution line or communication line, you know, and so they're all very similar in this concept, but they're also very com- completely different at, a, at every facet. So every project includes those unique challenges that we evaluate and overcome during, you know, the, the stages of the project life lifespan so those being you know property acquisition um, design procurement construction so you're facing these you know interesting challenges and and finding those unique solutions is is why we all got into the engineering field in the first place so you know it's always incredibly satisfying to just bring those solutions like maria said to the table and then to get to carry them out and through to to construction you know it's it's almost artistic at times when Mm -hmm. you know you when it gets down to it and then you know, the, my other favorite part, you know, is, is just the people in our industry. So not only are they generally just incredible people to be around or engage with, but, you know, our clients have a, a really significant depth of knowledge regarding their own systems and the operation of those systems that, you know, will take me a lifetime to unpack. And, and that's highly satisfying in the, in the stance that, you know, there's such an enormous room for personal growth, you know, within this job and in the field of practice. Those are definitely, those are inspirational answers. I like that. <laughs> well, and I know, and I know good. I said I'd stop it. I, I know I said I'd stop it too, but it's hard to stop. So, uh-huh. but if, if, great. if we're speaking more towards, about it. yeah, if we're speaking more towards like the final product of a job, you know, I thoroughly do enjoy just the construction side of the business. Again, Maria kind of, you know, talked on this, but you know, we designed to build. So, you know, what that means is that we're all doing everything we do for the sole purpose of building something. So, carrying that mindset through and getting to build pieces of these critical parts of you know, the global infrastructure uh, it certainly gets everybody kind of out of bed and excited to do what we do. Okay, definitely. I'd like to, getting close to closing, don't, don't want to take up too much time. I want to kind of wrap things up with a few more questions. Um, I'm interested in finding out, you know, so many things going on, um, so many challenges, inflation, supply chain issues. I'm sure you're having issues with delivery um, delays, possibly just all the challenges that are coming at you. Um, what, as a young person in the, in the field, what do you think the next big things we're all going to need to watch going forward? Um, you know, in the next couple of years, um, is there anything job related that's keeping you up at night, you know, that you think about, uh, you think the listeners need to be aware of, or, you know, just keep an eye on. I know Jordan's eight week old is keeping him up at night. (laughs) That's been a, a certainly a interesting new new challenge for me. It's it's uh, <laughs> given me new new perspective for sure. Um, I I know I'll, I'll I'll kind of segue into that. I I think you know you you touched on this briefly already, but I I think one of the um, big big impacts to us post post COVID um, here here at the lab has been just our ability to in a timely manner procure material for um, any of our projects going on. We've had um, you know, we've seen some pretty, pretty ridiculous lead times on, on, you know, equipment that used to be, um, in stock that we could turn around with, within a week or so. I mean, we've, right. we've had, uh, you know, a few small projects and, and several very, very large, um, um, customer driven projects with, with pretty tight schedules. Um, we've, we've seen those impacted, 
heavily with with some of the, the lead time issues and, and we've spoke with a lot of uh, our, our vendors and, and subcontractors that we partner with and and you know everyone right now is saying that they're um, actively working on correcting those supply chain issues and and they're mm-hmm. investing you know additional money into manufacturing or, or product development or, or customer relations programs. Um, but that that certainly is still something, even though we're, we're seeing a lot of discussion regarding trying to improve some of the supply chain issues, that's um, certainly short term something that, that, you know, actively is a concern for us here at the lab and, and myself, just, just due to some of the impacts that we see um, once, once we get into the, the procurement and construction side of our, our projects. Um, and then longer term, we, we talked about this briefly as well. Um, longer term, um, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're in a position right now where we're trying to uh, expand our group to meet current and, and future projected needs for some of our customers. And it's, uh, it, it, it is certainly challenging right now to, um, you know, uh, attract and, and hire and, and retain talented individuals. So I, I think as, as an industry, um, that's, that's something that I hear echoed uh, frequently is that as a whole, and, and we've talked about this some already, but as a whole, um, it, it certainly is um, uh, abnormally hard to, to find good qualified individuals and, and try and meet um, our, our customer needs. So that's, that's uh, certainly something that, 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 that keeps me up at night and, and makes me wonder, you know, what, what are our, our next steps and, and how do we improve um, both of these issues? So. Okay, great. Any other issues keeping you up at night related to work or what you think big things you think may, I mean, some, we could get into a big discussion about all the things, you know, <laughs> EVs and everything that's supposedly going to happen, the grid updates, renewables. Um, you know, there's so much to talk about there. We might need to do another podcast. Um, you know, we could talk forever on that. So um, any other big things you all think that everyone needs to be watching as far as um, moving forward goes? Yeah, definitely. And and Jordan hit one real hard there with, uh, you know, just having a, a, a terrible time with supply chain issues. And that's definitely mm-hmm. a huge impact across the board right now, whether that's wood poles, steel accessibility, hardware lead yep. times. Yeah, it's just becoming increasingly more difficult to track pricing and do estimations and material procurements. But, you know, I think that one of the single most impactful factors that we're going to see specifically in our industry is you know, at both a short and long term is going to be the policy development at every level. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of touched on it there, but there's just a large number of federal, state, regional regulatory agencies that are really influencing the direction of the grid as a whole and the ability Mm -hmm. to build and maintain current resources. So as these different entities work to find kind of the best and, and or more, you know, desired path forward, we're going to see a lot of shifts in the approaches to meet that demand of the end consumer. So, you know, we're currently seeing that in the shift to carbon-free energy, uh, and with that shift comes the need for you know construction of new generation and transmission facilities, just mm-hmm. at an increasingly large rate. So, then along with that, the increased you know rate now puts a strain on right-of-way acquisition, the permitting agency, and then we get back to the supply chain and and the scale that needs to be met for that need. Um, so, you know, when it, when you talk about kind of what keeps you up at night outside of having a one-year-old. Um, you know, it's, you know, and, and, and take this for what it's worth, because there's brighter and definitely more impactful individuals working on the solution to this problem. Um, you know, but most, in, 
you know, I think easily the most important conversation going on right now is in the power industry revolves specifically around the reliability of the electric grid. Right. Um, you know, over the last few years, you know, we've we've been seeing a continued trend of increased electric consumption and then a de decreased supply. So we're seeing this commonly in the scenarios like rolling blackouts, um, you know, where we we just aren't producing enough energy to keep up with that demand. No. Um, you know, mm -hmm. just looking at this summer of 2023, NERC reported that two thirds of the country were at an elevated risk of potential outages. Mm -hmm. So with that elevated risk, you know, you know, that kind of comes in some respects directly from the retirement of dispatchable generation and then replacing it with the uh, intermediate generation, you know, mainly, you know, your wind and your solar, uh, and, and that's not always available at those peak loads. So that along with, you know, the increasingly difficult landscape to build, you know, we're just starting to see hits to the reliability of the system. And as we continue to push for more carbon free and a diversified grid, you know, we're, we're really just going to need to keep reliability and affordability at the forefront of those conversations. That's such a great, well, you're going to be up all night anyway, but with the one-year-old now thinking about all the utility, <laughs> all the, the reliability of the grid, there's going to be no sleeping for the next probably five to 10 years. So um, that is a serious issue and you're definitely right about that. Let's, um, I'd like to wrap it up with, um, I think it'd be interesting and uh, to find out what, if you all have any advice that you've been given uh, by your boss, your coworkers, anyone um, you could be anyone really. Um, what, what's the most memorable piece of advice you've ever been told um, and why did it stick with you? I've got two kind of memorable piece of advice that I've received and then gotten to kind of watch those play out over and over in this relatively short career. Mm -hmm. um, one is that you know, su successful individuals in, in your career, they don't wake up going into competition or, or battle with others. You know, whether that's at the coworker level or uh, you know, at the company level or even uh, at the client level, but rather they're, you know, they're realizing that life is just this team effort of everyone trying to get this taken care of. And then successful people wake up looking for the best way to improve their own self, refine their own skill set, grow in their own knowledge base, and then, then make a better version of themselves than they were the last week. Um, and then the second piece that, you know, somebody had given me, and I do, I do try to carry this out too, but, you know, thrive where you're seated. Uh, you know, especially at a young age, we're looking for that, that progress or the career development. But if, if someone's pushed your chair into a specific table, if that's the new hire table or a new design capacity on your team, or even into, you know, management roles, you should treat that seat like it's the last one that you're ever going to have and, and treat that project like it's the last thing you're ever going to work on. You know, you want to you make it impossible for your boss or your client not to trust you with more and, and give you more opportunities um, to grow. I was going to say, I, I think I already alluded to, to the advice that I got, which was to never stop learning and to push yourself to yeah. learn. So I don't need to go too far on that, but I think that, that is, uh, made a big impact on me from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Since you were little, so that's carried out. Yeah, so that, that too. Still yeah. doing it. <laughs> Both from my boss and the real boss. <laughs> okay. Mom boss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think for me, as someone who's, um, not been in the industry super long is to don't be afraid to question anything just okay. because someone of a higher statue has been in the industry a while doesn't mean they might be wrong. Um, you know, there's, I've had a lot of conversations with someone who's 
been in the business 30 years and they won't let you forget it, but that doesn't mean that they're not wrong. So mm-hmm. I've definitely learned to make sure like, you know, they, they back up their answers and if they can't back it up, keep asking questions. Um, I've definitely yeah. done that a lot in the past year with uh, my current client and it's, you just need to be able to ask those questions, even if maybe you are wrong, but right. don't, don't think be that afraid. they're not wrong. <laughs> okay. Great advice. I'll just briefly uh, echo Ian and Luke as well. I think um, all all of my key mentors um, have have really instilled, um, you know, that the continuing professional development um, is is key in, in in your career path, and and you know, don't ever let yourself stagnate. There's always um, additional education. There's there's additional training. Um, there's there's new project and and job opportunities. Um, so so just continuing to push yourself. That's that's been the the a single piece of advice that, that has stuck with me. And, and that's also been um, the same message that's been portrayed to me from, from all of my mentors. So it's a, it's a, it's a common theme that, that I think um, most, most, most people will hear, hear a lot in their career, especially early on in their career. Well, it looks like we're about out of time for today's episode. Thank you so much to our guests for sharing their insight, industry knowledge, and experiences with us today regarding trends as they relate to the next generation of electrical professionals. In closing, I'd also like to thank Managing Editor Ellie Coggins and Editor Michael Morris for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. For more information, visit our website at ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. Well, I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parson, signing off of ECNM On Air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out our website for more great content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.